The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Good morning. It's good to be with you in worship this morning. It's good to be uh, standing in this in this spot. As Pastor Dan is is on vacation. Uh, if you would like, I'd invite you to turn in your Bible or a device to Romans chapter 4. If you have a red Bible, that's right there in front of you. It's on page 941. Uh, Children's Bible 1222, and there's blue large print Bibles in the back. If you need that, and it's on page 1119. Uh, If you have a different Bible, I have no idea what the page number is. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, or you don't own a Bible, feel free to take uh, one of the Bibles here, a red one or a large print one, as a gift from Jacob's Well Church. As we come into uh, the, 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 chapter, or the fourth chapter here uh, of Romans, I want to remind us of the question, the main question that Paul has been addressing so far. And it's this question. How do people obtain acceptance with God? How do people obtain acceptance with God? And in chapter 3, uh, up until the last part of it, the entire book has been about how sinful we are. And then at the end of chapter 3, which we looked at last week, Paul makes this statement. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or as the one who turned away the wrath by his blood to be received by faith. So Paul, having just made this incredible statement, That people are accepted by God through faith alone, in Christ alone, and in Christ's work. He anticipates an objection that's going to come from the listener. And so, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul responds to this anticipated objection. And that's what we're going to read here. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Not to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. 
This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we are so thankful that you have spoken to us in your word. That we don't have to guess. We don't have to speculate. Lord, you have clearly made plain your plan for redemption. Your plan to save sinners. And we thank you that you have given us these words and we ask Lord, that by your grace and through the power of the Spirit that we might be able to understand and that these words would go into our minds not as mere words, Lord, but as truth and as grace and as power that we would be transformed and made anew in your sight. We love you and thank you for your mercy towards us in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Here's a few uh, tweets that I found this past week I wanted to share with you. Today, my teacher didn't bring enough copies of the midterms, so we all got to pass them back and go home. Hashtag blessed. I want to believe I'm a new and improved person. So I'm just going to sit back and let karma do its thing. Hashtag blessed. Thank you at Franklin College One for the chicken nugget bar on this gloomy Monday. Hashtag blessed. Full on dropped my phone screen first onto solid concrete without a screen protector and it didn't break. Hashtag blessed. I caught a piece of bacon falling out of my sandwich right before it hit the ground. Hashtag blessed. No, that was not Pastor Dan. (laughs) These are just a few of the hashtag blessed tweets that I found on Twitter this past week. How about you? How are you feeling today? Are you feeling hashtag blessed? There's an article in the New York Times a few years ago that makes some very interesting observations about the hashtag blessed tag that uh, people are all crazy about, it seems, for the last few years. Here's what the article uh, says. There's nothing quite like invoking holiness as a way to brag about your life. But calling something blessed has become the go-to term for those who want to boast about an accomplishment while pretending to be humble, fish for a compliment, acknowledge a a success without sounding too conceited, or purposefully uh, to elicit envy. Blessed is now used where in the past one might have said lucky. Now it's just like strawberries are half price at the store. I'm feeling blessed. Now interestingly, after spending way too much time trolling Twitter one afternoon, I didn't find one single hashtag blessed entry that talked about suffering or tragedy or pain or difficulty. It seems that nobody felt blessed when bad things were happening to them. Almost every entry that I read had to do with a person feeling blessed because good things were happening to them. You could summarize all the tweets in one of two ways. One, I deserve this. Look at what I did. Hashtag blessed. Or the other one, man, I got lucky. I'm hashtag blessed. Ask yourself this morning, am I blessed because I was born an American and live in the great state of Wisconsin? 
Am I blessed because I have a loving wife, several kids, and a good job? Am I blessed because I go to a good church? Am I blessed because I found a great parking spot this morning in the rain and I got close? Am I blessed because I got a good grade on the test? Am I blessed because my wife just made an awesome dinner and then she did all the dishes? You see, to the extent that all good things come from God, then yes, these are certain blessings. But let me ask you this. Did you feel blessed when you learned that your father had cancer? When you lost your job? When your child made that terrible decision? When your parents got divorced? Did you feel blessed when your loved one died? Did you feel blessed when you realized you screwed up and you hurt someone? The question is, are we any less blessed when things aren't going so well? The question I want us to consider this morning is, biblically speaking, what does it mean to be blessed? What are we basing our blessedness This word that I'm using, the title of the sermon, this blessedness, what are we basing it upon? Are we basing our blessedness upon something we do? Or just uh, our hopes that we might get lucky? Or are we basing it on something else? I looked up the word just to make sure I didn't make it up. Blessedness. And this is what the dictionary says. The the Merriam-Webster online dictionary defines blessedness as a feeling or state of well-being and contentment. The Bible dictionary, where I looked it up, said, Blessedness is the condition or state of being in God's grace. Don't you long for this kind of blessedness this morning? This kind of contentment, this state of resting in God's grace? Friends, are you tired of of striving and, and hoping that your efforts are good enough? Are you Anxious about the future, about the unknown? Are you burdened by guilt of sin, of past sin, current sin? Are you overwhelmed and and, and all stressed out with nowhere to go? I often am. Friends, do you long for rest? Do you long to be content, satisfied, filled with joy, unspeakable? Do you long for peace? Do you long to be freed from feeling Guilty from shame, free from addiction, free from the treadmill of, of, have I done enough yet today, Lord? Don't you long to know that you know that you know that you're accepted by God? Do you long for this? This true blessedness? I do. And friends, today I have good news. Today, Jesus offers us superior blessings, far superior than, than uh, picking up your bacon, far superior blessings found in Christ that lay the foundation for true blessedness, true contentment, true rest, true freedom from the burden of sin. Let's look at three ways, three divine blessings, you might say, found in our text this morning. The first is this, the blessing of the book. Blessing of the book. I'm using the word book to mean the Bible. The kids in Awana, they sing this song, you know, it's in the book, it's in the Bible. That's what I mean. Blessing of the book, the capital B. Paul is, is throughout this entire book, he anticipates what people are going to ask him. 
And so he just heads them off and he goes right in and he asks the question for them. And what does Paul do here? He begins and he says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Why is Paul going to Abraham? And in a minute he goes to David. Why is he doing this? Imagine for a, a moment if I were trying to make a case for the validity of a certain part of the U.S. Constitution and I cited some past presidents. Let's just take, oh, you know, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. It would be hard to argue with me, wouldn't it? These guys say this. These guys say this is how we should view this. What Paul does here is exponentially more significant in the mind of a Jewish listener. He cites two of the great forefathers of the Jewish people. He cites Abraham and David. So, who are these guys? Who are these guys, Abraham and David? Now, you think Abraham, and immediately you're going, you know, arms moving, Father Abraham, had many sons, right? Anyone? You guys want to join in with me? Many sons, head, I'm all alone, okay. Abraham, the great father, the great patriarch of the Jewish people. He was the one to whom God chose to make incredible promises of blessing. Here's, here's the initial promise found in Genesis 12. And I will make you, Abram, that was his name before he was changed to Abraham. I will make you, Abram, a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Yes, I want this guy to be my grandpa, don't you? And the Jews said, yep, that's my grandpa. David, who was David? The greatest king in Jewish history. He laid the groundwork for the, 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 the building of the temple. Who Solomon built. And God promised to establish an everlasting kingdom through David. And we see it in 2 Samuel 7.16. And your house, David, and your kingdom, David, shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This everlasting kingdom... Through David. So I want David to be my king, don't you? And the Jews said, yep, Abraham is my grandfather and David's my king. What do you got? Now, an interesting and not insignificant fact to consider is how the Jews were taught to believe, what they were taught to believe about Abraham. They believed that Abraham was chosen by God to be blessed because of who he was. Namely, they believed that he was righteous already, that he was perfect already. I looked this up in the book of Jubilee. It's, it's, it's a book from the second century. It's some interpretations of rabbis of, uh, of, of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. And listen to what they say in this book of Jubilee about Abraham. Now, this is not scripture. This is, this is a, uh, an interpretive book. This is what they say. Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. The Jews were taught to believe that Abraham was righteous, that he was perfect. I think the rabbis kind of skipped over some stuff. Genesis 16, you know, Hagar, that whole thing. You know, later he lies. Hey, Sarah's not really my wife. Go ahead, Pharaoh. Abraham was a deceiver. He was an adulterer. He was, uh, later in, in the text this morning, he says he was ungodly. 
But they didn't think that. They thought Abraham had something to boast about. Their, their, their argument would have been like this in the Jewish mind. We are blessed because we are Abraham's descendants. We're biologically related to him. He's our grandpa. And Abraham was blessed because he was righteous in God's sight. And Abraham was righteous in God's sight because he was perfect in everything he did. And so God counted him as righteous because he deserved it. So if we want to be like Abraham, perfect and righteous, and we want to be blessed, we got to be like him. we got to be perfect. The hard part is, no one's perfect. Paul confronts this thinking. And he says, for if Abraham was justified by works, this is verse 2, he has something to boast about. He could go around telling people, hey, I got something to boast about. Look at me. But not before God. Not before God. God knows. For what does Scripture say, Paul says in verse 3? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. The point Paul is making is this, that God has always, 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 always justified by grace. This is not a new message. And to the surprise of Jewish listeners, of Paul's listeners in Rome there, his message is, is an old message. Paul is not arguing that, that Jesus came and established this new thing in the New Testament church. Paul's trying to say, no, no, no. God has been doing this for thousands of years. I want us to think about a, a point here that I want to make in this blessing of the book before we go to the, the next point and kind of dissecting this, this, uh, this statement of Abraham believed God. The Bible is continuous in its message. It's unified. Uh, in the words of the author of the Jesus Storybook Bible, uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones says, every story of the Bible whispers the name of Jesus. Every page, every event Every circumstance, everything from Genesis to Revelation, all of it tells the one unified story of redemption. What does this mean for us practically speaking? How do we see this as a blessing for us? That scripture is a continuous and, and one in its message. The first thing is we can be blessed by the Bible because it is unified. And what do I mean? Think about the game telephone. You guys ever played the game telephone? We could practice it right now, but it'd take a little too long. There's a lot of people in here. But let's say you get five people in a row, and they, you know, they're going to they're gonna sit in a circle, and over three minutes, they're going to pass a message like, Bobby wears blue shoes, and Jane wears green, a green shirt, and, and you know, George has a hat. goes around. You've played it before. What happens by the time it gets to the end? Bob's wearing the hat. Jane's got yellow something or other. I can't even remember. Is there another guy? The message gets all jumbled up. Now that's three minutes with, you know, five people, a few details. Now consider that the Bible was written over 1,500 years by over 40 different authors. And there is not one single contradiction in the book, in the original text. Not one. Now that's, there's something going on here. The message holds together, it makes sense, it's unified, it's continuous. There's not something new going on here. This is an old message the Bible tells over and over and over again. Now, it's important to think about this because there are some in our day and age 
who teach that the Old Testament is no longer applicable or no longer or maybe less relevant for believers today. Some who even teach and believe that God dealt differently with people in the Old Testament than he does with people in the New Testament. Sometimes this is called dispensationalism. That's a fancy term, meaning there's sections in the Bible, and some sections apply to some people and other sections apply to other people. The trouble with this is that if this is true, then you would have at least two different gods. You'd have a little g God of the Old Testament and a little g God of the New Testament. The line of thinking would say something like, the Old Testament God was just and wrathful. He conquered lands by sword and by war. He was all about punishment and fear. The New Testament God, however, is love and peace. He is gracious and merciful, kind and compassionate, as we see in Jesus. This is dangerous thinking, though. It's dangerous because if God is one way in the Old Testament and different in the New Testament, how do we know that he's going to treat us the way we want him to treat us? Aren't we really the God, then, deciding which God I like? Isn't it true that God is both just and loving? Both a judge and a merciful father? So the Bible is unified. There's a second thing that I want us to think about with Scripture. The Bible is a blessing because it's trustworthy. It's valid. You can trust it because God spoke it. And the Bible doesn't change. That's good news for us, as we'll see in a minute. The Bible is a blessing because it's sufficient. God has already spoken to us, revealing a message to us. We don't need any other revelation. We don't have to go around guessing and thinking, is there something else I'm missing? No, it's all right here. It's a blessing for you. You ever heard the, the analogy of, of, of all the guys, uh, you know, they say that, you know, every world religion is like a bunch of blind guys feeling around on an elephant. You heard this analogy? And they're all feeling around the elephant going, oh, I think, you know, faith is like a tail. I think it's, you know, it's long and slender and kind of fuzzy on my face. Well, I think religion is like this long, slender snout. I think religion is like a big foot. The problem is, what happens if the elephant talks and says, I'm an elephant? The Bible is God speaking to us. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder, okay, what is, what is the plan? What is, what is God saying here? No, what does Scripture say is what, David's, or was what Paul says. The last thing I'll say on this, the blessing of the book, is, is this. That the Bible is a blessing because it's beautiful. When you get right down into the, into the story of Scripture, the story of redemption, it is absolutely beautiful. It is glorious. I think too often that we have lost sight of the wonder and the awe and the beauty of the gospel. It sort of becomes commonplace, right? Oh yeah, the gospel. I'm for the gospel. I'm for the cross. Do we know what we're saying? What's in these concepts what's in this what's the beauty here well this is what I want to look at next and it's found in the message that Paul is driving home using the examples of Abraham and David it's what I'm calling the blessing of God's bookkeeping now I searched high and and far really just for about three minutes for a good joke that started out like you know a pastor a lawyer and an accountant and then had some punchline but I couldn't find it 
But if there is, there's probably one out there, so maybe if you find it, let me know, and I'll add that into this sermon so that down the road, you know, and if I preach this again to you, like in five years, I'll already have the joke. The reason I bring this up is because so far, Paul has been using lawyer language to talk about our standing with God. You're declared righteous, you're made right, uh, you're justified. And he switches terms a little bit to start talking about a, uh, using accountant language. He starts talking about bookkeeping. Now, what's he saying here? Let's look again, verse 3. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 4, not to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Verse 5, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. This word counted, here's a, here's a, here's a little mini word study for you. What is this word counted? What's going on here? It can be translated, the, the original word can be translated to mean counted, reckoned, imputed, considered, credited. Now, if, if, if we want to see how this analogy, how, how significant this analogy for Paul is, consider this. The, the word is used 41 times in the New Testament, 35 times by Paul, 19 in Romans, and in this chapter, 11 times. 25% of all of the use of this word is used right here in this chapter. So it's important to get this concept. So I'm trying to, that's the point I'm trying to make. What is this word counted mean here's here's what one pastor said donald gray barnhouse said god has with fixed determination made a precise and mathematical calculation he's made a calculation precise accurate no discrepancies you guys get get a little nervous when you think about that you're all nervous god's making precise calculations from this definition, God doesn't cook the books. Nobody's getting let off the hook. God's bookkeeping is accurate. He is the perfect bookkeeper, and his books are never wrong. And when it comes to righteousness, to holiness, to justice, to honoring and glorifying his name, to perfect obedience, all these things which it says in the Bible we are to be, be holy as your Father in heaven is holy, Matthew 5.48 God takes each of us into careful consideration. Since my wife uh, Tara and I have been married, we have changed banks at least a half a dozen times. That's because we keep moving. It's not because we're just you know disgruntled bank you know uh, people. <laughs> we just we move a lot, so we change banks. Now something very strange happens every time I go to close my account. The bank always says I have a different amount of money in the account than I say that I have in the account. My records always are a little different. Now, thankfully, every time we've closed our accounts, the bank's books are always saying I have a little more than I think I have, to which I, you know, give a huge sigh of relief, and I think my family does too. <laughs> Whose books matter? Is, is it my, my record of my accounts that matter, or is it the bank's? Does it matter how, I, how much I think I have in my account? Nope. They're going to tell me how much I have in my account. I can think all day long that my account has a certain amount in it, and oftentimes it seems I do, which is why there was a period of time when my wife did all the bookkeeping in our family. 
I had to get back in line here. But at the end of the day, it's the bank's books that really matter. No matter how much I think I've credited to my account, my account by making deposits, by putting good things in there, and how little I think I've debited and taken withdrawals out of my account, at the end of the day, if I overdraw my account, I get a note in the mail and a fine. As we've been journeying through Romans, we've seen this message in the first three chapters over and over and over again. And the message is summed up like this. You're bankrupt. You are spiritually bankrupt. I am spiritually bankrupt. I don't have anything in my account. In fact, we never had anything to begin with. And no measure of good works, no measure of deposits, no measure of deeds, no measure of look at what I can do for you, look at what I've done, can bring up the balance. We don't have anything to contribute to our standing before God. Paul brings this out in verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. If you're going to operate on a system of working and getting, getting what you deserve, then, then that's what's going to happen. You're going to get what you deserve. And what are the wages? What are the payments? What, what do we deserve? Romans 6.23, Paul says it like this. The wages of sin or the payment of sin, the result of sin, is death. This is what a person who works for right standing before God deserves. This is what our account says. It says we are bankrupt. Okay, so, okay, wait a minute. God's the perfect bookkeeper. He's taking my, my deeds into account, and he's, there's not going to be any discrepancies in the books. We've got a problem, don't we? If it's left right there, we've got a problem. But that's not how God leaves it. Praise the Lord that in his sovereign grace, he does not leave it at that. And Paul shows us this. We see this in two ways that God counts something to us. And in, in one's a positive aspect, he, he credits something to us. And one's a, a negative aspect, he doesn't credit something to us. First, we see it in, in, uh, in verse 3. Abraham believed and it was counted to him. It was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was made righteous. He was seen as his bank account is full now. This is a positive aspect. Abraham, uh, uh, excuse me, Paul is quoting from Genesis 15.6. Now, where in this verse do you find any mention of Working for righteousness. Where do you find any mention of, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this? No, we don't see anything. All we see is Abraham believed God, he trusted God, he depended on God, and it was it. The righteousness of God was credited to him as righteousness. It was a gift. Abraham needed it. We need the gift. How else are we going to get out of this bankrupt state that deserves death? We've got to have someone else's righteousness given to us. The other issue that we have is not only do we, you know, left to our own, we are unrighteous and we have no, no, no ground to stand on. 
Uh, we cannot be accepted by God. We also got this sin thing to deal with. We can be declared righteous right now. Right now I can stand before God and be declared righteous. But I still got the deal of my sin. It's got to be dealt with. Otherwise God isn't a God who punishes sin if my sin's not dealt with. It'd be like saying, well, I'm so glad God let me off the hook for my sin. Doesn't that cheapen grace a little bit? Doesn't that cheapen the cross? Why did Jesus go to the cross after all? This is how Paul explains it, and he quotes from David. Now, it was obvious to the Jewish listener, as it is to us, if you've read your Bible stories, and if you haven't, I'll tell you right now, David was a big sinner. He, he had committed adultery, then he had the, the, the lady's husband killed, and that's just the big ones that were told about. And here's David crying out in just celebration in Psalm 32, which is what Paul quotes. And he says this, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. You could literally read it, whom the Lord will never count his sin. The main point here is that the forgiveness, the granted and experienced forgiveness is not the result of work, of human work, but of divine grace. God counts people who have no righteousness of their own as righteous and does not count the unrighteousness against people. So in other words, according to this, you are forgiven and pardoned and you are accepted. This is the ultimate blessing, friends. The ultimate blessedness. You're pardoned from sin and you are loved and accepted by God as his son and as his daughter Right now, if this is true, if, this, if, if you believe this, right now. No matter what you're thinking even right now, no matter what you did this morning or did yesterday, no matter what's going on at home, no matter what, right now, this is true in Christ. You are seen as righteous before God. And your sins are forgiven. You are accepted This is the beauty of, of the gospel. You see, this is, this is the beauty of the cross. The, the, the cross is the place where God is able to be both a just judge who must punish sin, as well as a loving father who loves to show mercy. And how do these come together? They come together in the cross of Jesus Christ because Jesus is the one who takes the punishment. And Jesus is the one who actively lived a righteous life and Jesus is the one who says and who promises that all who believe in me will be declared righteous on, based on my righteousness and I will take their sins upon me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it like this, For our sake God made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Counted righteous based on Christ's goodness and his perfection and his righteousness. And so you are blessed 
Dear friends, when God counts Jesus' righteousness as yours and counts Jesus' sacrifice as paying your debt, and this blessing provides true blessedness, forgiveness, acceptance, not because of anything you've done, but because of what he's done. Now, how do I know that, that this is my position? What do, I, what, you know, what do I need to do, right? What do I got to do? What do I got to do, Pastor? And that our, we always, that's, that's what we, we always come back to, what do I got to do, right? What do I got to do to get this done? Look at the chronology of things for a moment as we go to this, 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 the last point here, the blessing of believing. I want us to look at this chronology here in verses 9 and, and 10. Now, ask this question as we look at these verses. Have you ever wondered how folks in the Old Testament were saved? You know, you ever thought about that? You know, I mean, we, we can say, Jesus is my Savior. What did they say? What did Abraham and David and, 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 and Solomon and, and, and the, the men and women of the Old Testament, you know, many of whom the, we have in the, in the Scriptures, what did they say? What did they say they believed in? We believe in, what do, we, what do they believe in? How are they saved? Notice the chronology of things here. In verse 9, is this blessing, or, or literally this blessedness, then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but it was before he was circumcised. When was Abraham counted righteous? To be exact, it was 14 to 29 years before he was circumcised. I know that's a wide range, but that's pretty close if you think about it. Something that happened a couple thousand, three, four thousand years ago. We got a 15-year gap there. But the significance is this. Abraham was made promises. God promised to bless him. God promised to, to, to be his God and to say that you are my people, Abraham. And all of these promises were upon Abraham when he was uncircumcised, when he was Gentile-like. Think, think of the, the shock of the Jewish listener. Think, wait a minute, like circumcision is, is what makes us right before God. Observing the law is what makes us right before God. And, and here Paul says, actually, you forgot he was circumcised uh, after God declared him righteous. Circumcision has nothing to do with being declared righteous. Outward observance of religious things, like the sacraments, have nothing to do with being declared righteous. Coming to church on Sunday doesn't make you righteous before God. What makes you righteous? How is Abraham saved? Through faith. Through faith alone in Christ alone. That's the great, the great point Paul's making here, which is why Abraham was credited with righteousness before he was circumcised, so that anyone who believes, anyone who believes, whether you are of Jewish ethnicity or not, and I think most of us in here are not, we have a ground to stand on, which is we, by faith, by faith, we can be counted as righteous. Now, what is faith? You know, Pastor Dan said last week, 
and I'll quote him, you can't have faith in faith. You can't have faith in faith. Think of it like this. In order to spend a $20 bill, let's say, on an extension cord at, at the hardware store, you have to have faith in its purchasing power, right? It's not your faith that is the basis of the purchase, though, is it? What's the basis of the purchase? The, the value of the money. You can believe all day long, hey, this is going to buy me nice stuff, but the value of the money is what actually buys you the stuff. It's not your faith that God rewards. Oh, you got faith, so I'm going to make you righteous. No, no, no. Faith even itself is a gift, says in Ephesians. You know what's great about that? The wonderful good news thing about the fact that faith is a gift. We don't have to work for it. And even when we feel like our faith is, is uh, we sang this morning, like, I feel like my faith is failing. You know what? Guess what, folks? God still has a grip on you. You see, faith is not merely belief. Faith is trust. It's being convinced of something. Paul defines that a little later in the chapter, in verse 21, he says that uh, Abraham grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. At the end of the day, that, that's what faith is. It's, it's trusting God's going to do what he says he's going to do. Do we trust perfectly? No. Does our faith fail us? Do we doubt? Yes. Is God's grip any less on you because your faith fails a little bit? No way. His grip is still holding you fast. Are you convinced that God offers you forgiveness in Christ? Are you convinced that God accepts you because of Christ's righteousness? Are you convinced that you can't do anything to earn a place in heaven? And are you convinced that what you have done has earned you only a place in hell? I got good news, folks. You're the blessed ones. You are the blessed ones. See, the blessing of this book is that it is a message that is unified, a message that is continuous, and it tells the story of grace. And the blessing of God's bookkeeping is that in Christ, we can be counted as righteous right now, and that our sins are not counted against us, that we are forgiven because of the blessing of believing through faith alone in Christ alone. Today is the day of salvation, friends. Come home to your Savior. Be blessed. For blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you that you count us as righteous. You give Jesus' righteousness to us and you give us the ability to trust in Jesus' righteousness and to trust in you. And we thank you that you don't, you don't hold or count our sin against us because Jesus took the penalty. He, he paid it. He took the punishment for us. Lord, we want to rest in that today. We want to rest in this state of blessedness today.
I pray for my friends here, Lord, that anyone who's struggling to rest in your grace, Lord, would know that we have but to come to you, come to Jesus, and find rest. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.